Hello and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we help businesses, brands, and entrepreneurs get more out of their advertising spend. On today's episode, we have Ruth Stevens, a famous B2B marketer, and she's going to break down for us some of the leading B2B strategies across all industries and verticals to help you guys succeed in the B2B space. Ruth, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Thank you, Lucas, for inviting me. I'm just delighted doing well here in New York City and happy to be on your show. Thanks. So are you going to hang on and, and stay in New York or are you going to jump ship? No, this is my town. I'm just sitting tight, hoping for a better future. How did you end up with the label, one of the most 100 influential people in B2B marketing? I got into B2B after seven years at Time Warner, where I learned how to be become a direct marketer. I went to IBM for three years and then hung out a shingle and went out on my own as a sole practitioner, marketing consultant, where I've been happily self-employed for 20 years. I think anybody who can survive in New York City offering consulting services to businesses for for 20 plus years must be doing something right. So if you were to take on a new client or work with anybody, what are some of those mistakes that you see all the time that maybe our audience could avoid in hearing the episode today? I can certainly identify three common mistakes that I see all the time. One is about a maniacal exclusive focus on sales lead generation where you will see any study on the top marketing objectives of a B2B marketing department, the the number one, two, maybe three, four, and five objectives are related to new accounts, new customers, new sales leads, lead quality and quantity, and such like about net new business. Whereas, if you look at the where the profits come in a company, today's profits tend to come from existing customers. And we hope those new leads that we're generating will become existing cu- customers. But for some reason, B2B marketers have an unequal focus on customer retention, meaning account penetration, account expansion, upselling, cross-selling, finding new opportunity in existing accounts, coming up with new products and services to penetrate more deeply into existing accounts, understanding their needs and developing new products and services to suit. And so that's the first mistake I would caution my fellow B2B marketers on. The second is passing unqualified leads to the sales force a big no-no. If the job of providing sales leads to our sales counterparts is with the intention of enhancing Salesforce productivity, then if we are passing them leads who are never going to buy from us, we are reducing their productivity, not enhancing it. But at the same time, if we pass unqualified leads to sales and the lead therefore doesn't close, the relationship between sales and marketing gets worse and worse. 
I hope I'm making a persuasive case for why that's a, a bad idea. Oh, we feel your pain over here, so keep going. No, no disagreement. <laughs> okay. The third big mistake that I'm preaching on a lot is the lack of responsibility that B2B marketers take for the customer record or the data that we have about customers and prospects in our marketing databases, whether it's a CRM system or a spreadsheet or wherever it is, we usually shirk this. And this is a huge mistake. We marketers who are using the data need to own it. We need to embrace it. We need to take responsibility for it and recognize it as an important corporate asset. So those are my three pet peeves, which you call common mistakes. I call them areas to rant about. What are some of the things that don't cross over or that do cross over from B2C into B2B? We see all the time marketers try to deploy some of those same direct response tactics. You know, in a B2B space, you can tell people who might not be primed or ready in the funnel, get that software demo, sign up for a demo, talk to the sales team, and they don't like it. It's off-putting. They're not ready yet versus on Instagram, if you're selling a t-shirt, you can say, buy this right now. And people might be interested in that offer. It doesn't quite work that way in B2B. So talk us through some of the intricacies that uh, might carry over from B to B2C into B2B, and then maybe some that don't. It boils down to the fact that buyers are all human, whether they're buying on behalf of their households or their companies. And there's been a pretty dramatic increased recognition in that we need to establish an emotional connection with our business prospects the same way that we do with consumers. That human impulse and engagement and feelings are part of the B2B buying decision process the same way they are in consumer. The relationship that we have with our accounts is at the individual level couldn't be more dramatically reminded or brought to our attention when we're on a, a call with a prospect and the prospect's children and spouse are, you know, in the background. <laughs> it's really a different relationship these days that lends itself to our really establishing deep and rich contacts with our business buyers who were otherwise almost anonymous or automatons in some respects in the old days. When it comes to the tools, though, what really is so interesting about the pandemic is that it's reminding us that we need to have a lot richer data profile about our business buyers. And there are now tools available that allow us to match our business customer records with those individual people's consumer records and gain new insights into their personalities, their consumer buying behavior, their hobbies, their and certainly their private home email addresses and phone numbers that allow us to create a richer picture of our business customers and connect with them more effectively. 
So there's an interesting point you brought up there, which is basically this concept of identity graph, identity mapping, third party mm -hmm. data enrichment. So yeah. is that a, a, a trending item that you see this year? And if so, how do you think that's going to play out in the next few years as these privacy concerns all come to a head? The ID graph or identity resolution topic has really come to the fore just in the last 12, 24 months. And the expected disappearance of third-party co cookies has introduced some challenges. I'm hopeful that we'll be able to continue to message to our customers and prospects in digital environments with consistency and relevance in the future. The larger question of privacy, I think, is best addressed by offering our business buyers a chance to tell us what they're comfortable with. And this is pretty easy to do in the form of a customer preference center, basically. So I think we've got tools where in an increasingly compliance-driven marketing environment, you could argue that we brought it on ourselves by being thoughtless, careless about our customers' feelings and preferences. But the question of merging the consumer publicly available data and the business publicly available data, I think, is still going to be available to us going forward. I'm, I may be wrong about that. Certainly, the minute marketers overstep, then consumers and business people complain, the regulators pounce, and we have to change our ways. So we always operate as marketers within the constraints of society. And fair points there. I would add that the identity graphing and we do a little bit of that there's quite a few players out there we have over 1.5 billion identities in in our software and can match identities based on some of those metrics that you had identified so if you self-identify on a prospect site and you fill out the form to get a white paper well you've converted with your information and and self-identified that or sally and the business can then use that information as they see fit. That's first party data. See the problem and what Apple and Google are doing is basically preventing cross device and cross browser tracking. So if you're on Facebook and you see the ad from IBM to download their new white paper and you're on your mobile device and you're scrolling and you click on that ad, you realize it's a little frustrating on your mobile. So you switch over to your desktop that's also on your home Wi-Fi, and then you download the white paper. Well, without cross-device, cross-browser uh, mapping, you're not going to be able to know that was Sally on her mobile phone and then Sally on the desktop. It's going to show up as two separate identities. And what identity graph technology can do is use technology and algorithms and the other information we might know about that individual or their behavior to stitch those journeys back together and that's where this is going. And the consumer privacy is at odds against advertisers that want targeting. So if regulators close the door a little bit on targeting, the ad tech industry is going to pivot 
and shift and find out what that next technology is. And that's what you see from Google and Apple and these guys all getting together to basically try to decide how it should go going forward. So that is a big trending item that we should all be aware of that's coming out this year. And uh, I appreciate you bringing it up. I wanted to close with one question, our favorite question, which is how are you measuring performance in B2B marketing and advertising? If you were to work with a client that says, we're spending $100,000, a million dollars a month on marketing and advertising, it's all B2B. What is the mechanism that you use or the methodology, let's say, to measure the performance of those campaigns? Well, this is the $64,000 question. When in the B2B world, we're operating on long sales cycles, often 18 to 24 months, multiple touches offline and online, lots of parties involved, both on the customer side and on the seller side, and the traditional methods of measurement are unworkable in that environment. I've actually just published an article with seven workarounds that I, I recommend to B2B marketers. I can share it with you later, Lucas, but some of them are that we use a data matchback or we use customer surveys. And there are other techniques, including the kinds of digital attribution methodologies that I know your company is helping with. Sometimes I take a contrarian view and say, listen, let's not even worry our pretty little heads about trying to measure the value of this touch versus that touch. Let's focus on larger points like how much did we pay to generate a qualified lead? What were the media channels that we used to do that? And at that stage, it's much less complicated. Fewer parties are involved and we can actually set up split tests or using, we can use tracking, whether it's digital or by hand. And when, when you're selling a half a million dollar product, then the mindset is completely different. So that's my set of thinking about how to advise marketers on the whole question of measurement of marketing communications. Yeah, I think you touched on a, a great point and that's where, that's where we live too. We, we share that opinion. What we tell our clients and the people that we work with is nobody really wants more MQLs. Nobody wants more web visits or ad clicks or impressions, a lower bounce rate or opt-in rate or conversion rate. It's honestly really meaningless. What you want is more sales. That's the here, conversion here. way down at the bottom of the funnel. And we deal with folks that are operating in multiple countries, have all types of major budgets on 15, 16 different channels. And the data can really be overwhelming. And when we work with those, those folks, we say, what's the one thing that you want more of? And sometimes they say more MQLs. And you know, if you really kind of go down that rabbit hole, you realize, no, you want more signed contracts. 
We want more Salesforce One opportunities. And if you think about marketing that way, it doesn't stop at the top of the funnel. You can attribute the success of the marketing programs or what you do, Ruth, to come in there to, to clean up shop and help people get more out of this situation because marketing the marketing piece, that email, is mid-funnel to help them move them along. You brought up a point at the beginning of this session that you want to be 50-50 nurturing existing clients. Well, that's marketing too. And I think a lot of times people have forgotten that. Digital's made it so easy to say you got a new conversion, a new click, a new impression, but that's taken your eye off the ball. What most people care about is the bottom of the funnel, the sale conversion. We really appreciate the time that you've spent with us. How can folks get a hold of you? My website address is ruthstevens.com where I have a lot of my writings published and I would invite people to connect with me on LinkedIn. You guys heard it here first, folks. That was Ruth Stevens from ruthstevens.com, one of the most influential B2B marketers on the planet. If you are looking to get more out of your B2B marketing efforts, definitely go check out Ruth. And if you want the software that's gonna be able to track all those channels across everything at the top and the full funnel all the way down to that critical sales piece all the way down at the bottom then we suggest getting a demo from leads rx and you'll have the best of both worlds to help you get more out of your advertising dollar spend in the b2b industry this is the attribution marketing podcast signing off <laughs>